Uh, and I just want to say, uh, as we're getting into things, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and making the space to join us and be together with us as we engage with God. It is, it is so good to see you all in person. And I know for some of us, oh, it's been going for a while, but just in my heart, I will probably keep saying that for a long time. So I want you to know it means a lot to us that you're here. It's good to see you, good to be with you. Those of you online, we are glad that you are finding ways to connect with us, and we're so thankful for that. And so just feeling really good about being together in any way that we can be. Um, and so with that, let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. I pray that you would gather us, Lord, whether we're here in person or watching online, that, that, that we know that you can overcome things like that, right? That, that we can be pulled together as a united uh, body, that you can speak to us in a unique way this morning because we are connected through you. And so I pray that uh, from that spot, Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in uh, week four, five, or six, I don't even remember right now, of our sermon series uh, in 1 John called God is Love, and is uh, looking at this letter that was written about 2,000 years ago, um, and the person who wrote it makes this claim in this letter that God is love, right? Just flat out says it. It's not that God is loving, God can love, it's that God is love. God's very nature is love, and I think that that is the the foundation and the framework for this whole letter. And not only that, but I think for the author, his name is John, for his whole belief system, everything he does, everything he says is built off of this reality that God is love, that he knows because he's experienced uh, God. Um, the passage that we're looking at today, which is going to build off of that, is uh, 1 John 3. Uh, 13 through 24. If you have your Bible, you can look that up. Again, it's 1 John 3, 13 through 24. If you don't, the passage will be up on the screen, and I'll read it, and you can listen along. Uh, if you're watching online, we do have a cool, uh, in our online platform, there's a Bible tool in there that you can pull up the verses also. Uh, so here we go. This is uh, 1 John 3, 13 through 24. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now, as there is each week, there's a lot going on in this passage, but I want to 
just remind us last week that Rich brought us through this section uh, that talked about um, what it meant to be children of God. And this word child or children is a word that John uses quite a bit. He talks about children of God, children of the devil. He uses the phrase, my dear children or little children to refer to the people that he's writing to. And it's a term that really denotes allegiance. It denotes affection. Who is your source? Who do you love? Who is giving to you the things that sustain your life? Who are you connected to? Who are you gaining intimacy with through those interactions? These are some of the questions that John is getting at in this conversation. And I want us to have that kind of sitting in our hearts and minds as we go through this. Those kinds of questions that that John's asking in this. Excuse me while I get a drink of water here. Throw stuff around. Um, so we're coming out of an interesting section from last week. Again, where Rich talked about what it means to be a child of God. But um, John brings up this person named Cain. And, uh, and he's going to talk about Cain and he's going to talk about hate. And it's this kind of interesting uh, moment that John brings it in. And if you don't know who Cain is, Cain is, uh, has a brother named Abel. And they were the first uh, two sons of Adam and Eve. And we find their story in uh, Genesis 4. And we're going to look at verses 2b through 10. And whenever you see uh, 2b or 2a, that just means that the, uh, whoever's going through the verse wants to, they have a whole verse that they want to split. They don't want to look at the whole thing. So uh, it's just a way to kind of split a single verse up. So uh, here's their story. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, and so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother uh, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so Cain murders his brother out of jealousy, but I think more out of hatred. And we can see this connection to what Rich talked about last week because he talked about sin being uh, this this time where it, it misses the mark, right? And I would say Cain aggressively misses the mark here. And so what we find is that God says, he gives this warning to Cain, he says, look, Sin, it wants to have you, right? And then the image there is, is of an animal eating something. Like it wants to have you. It wants to devour you. And so we see that there's this battle for our allegiance, that sin wants to rule us. And so John in this part of this is saying, look, just like Cain hated Abel, don't be surprised if the world hates those who follow God. 
He's bringing up the reality that brothers and siblings even can destroy one another. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. Now remember for John, the, the word world is, is it's describing a, a position or a posture of, of the inner person that's against God and against the things that God is about and doing. So he's saying, Look, there are some folks who have left, and these folks, we know, they're trying to draw some people out. They're trying to take some people away from this community. And so John is probably making a tie here and saying, um, you know, maybe some of the things that they're saying to you are hateful. Maybe they're saying, if you don't follow us, then you hate us. Maybe you don't love us. And John is trying to say to them, look, here's how you know who is your friend and who is not. And so John likens uh, those who hate to Cain and to the world. They're all moving against God. And it might seem strange to have in this moment, we have all this love and God is love and, and we're supposed to love one another, that there's this moment of hate dropped in here. But this is not unusual if we even look at some stuff that Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Um, in John uh, 15, 9 through 17, there's this this great moment where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. It's the last meal he's going to have with them before he dies. And so he takes this space and he teaches them about love. And we get these great verses from that. Verses like, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one, one's friends. And he says at the end of that section, this is my command, love each other. Now that should also sound familiar um, I believe that the same person who wrote this wrote our letter that we're looking at today, so some of the language is the same. But if we look at the f section that comes right after that, right after the greater love has no one than this, in John 18 through 25, it turns to hate, right? 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, this isn't Jesus sort of trying to have a competition with his disciples like, well, they hated me first. This is more him saying, look, if you're wondering why they hate you, then look, they they hated me. So if you're following me, they're going to hate you too. And in 1519, he talks about if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And so again, there's these words of belonging, of allegiance, of connection, of intimacy. And so as Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death, and then after his resurrection, his departure from them in terms of his physical presence, what he's saying is you're going to need to love one another. When I'm not here, I'm sending the Spirit, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but, but whatever you're facing, whatever hard things are going to come your way, one of the keys is you have to love one another. And so John moves in, digs into this for a second, and then John's going to move back He's going to move back again and talk about love. And he uses some intense language to describe this sort of transformation that takes place. Um, he talks about passing from death to life, remaining in life or remaining in death, and connects them with love and hate. He says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And not only that, but anyone who remains in death is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And now remember, we were just talking about Cain. And who, according to the timeline of the Bible, the sort of the story that the Bible tells, is the first person to commit murder. And so John, again, is forming this link. There's hatred. Even spiritual siblings, when they 
it, it leads to destruction and death when we don't love one another. Jesus points out that it's not just, um, it's not just, because we, we talk about murder a lot, but it's not just this, this physical act, right, that gets carried out. Jesus points out in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, that it's deeper than that. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That's not very encouraging. Uh, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, racha, which means uh, like idiot or fool, um, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. And so Jesus says, look, it's actually deeper than, than the act you commit. Right, that certainly we have to stop that. But there's something behind that, something in the inner person that drove that, that moved that. And we think back to Cain and we think about that idea of sin, crouching, waiting. It wants to do something in our lives. It wants to move us, to control us. It wants to have us. And we see that John, in his gospel, uses this same, uh, this same idea this is in John 8, 42 through 47. He's talking, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. And if you remember, the Pharisees is this group that's really bent against Jesus. They've tried to uh, shut him down. And at some point, they, they moved to try to kill him. And so in this section, Jesus is talking to them. And he says to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you cannot believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And again, we not only have this, this, this idea about there's something in the heart that, that moves us in a direction, but we have so much similar language happening here. And so um, we find that John is really communicating some strong points. Um, and what he's really saying is that there's an action that's an expression of an inner reality. And that our inner reality can be shaped by lots of different things. It can be shaped by the people we hang out with. It can be shaped by the, the shows we watch, the kind of entertainment we participate in. It can be shaped by uh, the culture. It can be shamed by, sh uh, shaped, shamed, <laughs> shaped by music, right? There's all kinds of things that it can be shaped by. It can be shaped by us withdrawing from all those things. But the things that we have intimacy with can shape us and that for John there's this idea that that there's there's a dangerous way uh, we can go down some of those paths and that we might harbor in our hearts a hatred that is the same thing that would give birth to such actions as physically harming or murdering someone and he's saying that needs to be changed and so he explores that he says look that's what hate looks like but here now we're going to see what love looks like. And specifically, he says that by looking at Jesus. In one moment in Jesus' life, he says, um, 
It's Jesus laying down his life for us, for all humanity. That's the thing he says. And this is how we know what love is because of that moment. This then is the act of love that Jesus participated in that we're supposed to build everything off of, that we're supposed to allow to influence and shape what our own love looks like. But that's a big ask. Is John really asking us to go and die for someone? Maybe, if the moment arises that way, maybe that's what John is asking. But he actually tells his readers kind of more what he's talking about here. And he does it in this very practical, day-to-day, moment-by-moment kind of way. And I think it's this interesting thing where John takes this huge moment in Jesus' life and says, it's not just the big moment, it is a huge moment, but it, it intersects with every single little thing that we do. I want to explore this idea a little bit um, because I think it's, it's good. Um, the, the laying down our lives that, that we're exploring here. Um, so uh, lots of times when we're getting ready to preach, we look at these things called commentaries, and they're big, thick books that people write looking at all the original language and all kinds of cultural situations. But when they do this, they often rewrite because they have a good, healthy understanding of the Greek or the Hebrew or whatever uh, the original language was. And so they often rewrite it, compare it to other versions and translations and sort of parse out what they think is the best understanding of the original language. And so sometimes we get some differences, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're not as helpful. But here, I think there's some interesting ones. So I want to show us those quickly. Um, the NIV translates in this section, it talks about if, if, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and does not have pity on them. That's the, the language that the NIV version uh, uses. But... The words in here, so the first word, uh, material possessions, is accurate, uh, but I don't think it goes far enough. So the words used in here are cosmos, and, and the next one is bio, so we'll look at that one in a second. But cosmos means world, earth, world systems, the, the whole universe. Um, and so John's going to get at something here that has to do with the world. And so he brings in bios. He says cosmos bios, and that's what is translated material possessions. Uh, but bios means life, like what one lives on, like everyday life, sustenance, like the goods of, of the world. And so it's got this very different feel to it. And I almost think what is translated, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, I think it could be phrased, whoever has the resources necessary for living, the sustaining stuff of everyday life, and sees their brother and sister in need. Right? So that it's not that... Uh, it's not that I don't think material possessions doesn't, isn't accurate, but I think that when I think of material possessions, I don't necessarily think of like food, shelter. I might think of clothes and some of the other things, but I just feel like the idea of these things that sustain life, the, 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 I think that's a more robust uh, idea, and I think it's actually closer to what is being said. Now, the next part where it talks about uh, sees a brother or sister in need uh, and has no pity on them, this has also got an, an interesting sort of uh, difference to it. Um, the word uh, pity here uh, is, is, is taken out of two words. It's pleo and splanknon. I want you to try and say that one, splanknon. Everyone give it a try, splanknon. Okay, this is one that if you're like a middle school teacher, 
throw that one out. Your kids won't know what it means, but they'll think it means something they shouldn't be saying, so they'll say it all the time. Splanknon. Uh, but pleo means to shut, close, or lock, and splanknon means like your affections, but it means like deeper. It's like the, the seat and the source of all emotion. And so it even talks about like your entrails or your guts. And so it's like the very, the very deep kind of most the deepest place of who you are. And it's where tenderness and compassion and all those things uh, sort of are born out of. And so again, I think we could better translate this. Uh, whoever has the resources necessary for living, uh, sorry, if anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person, right? We can expand that to whoever has the resources necessary for living, the sustaining stuff of everyday life, and sees their brother or sister in need and shuts their heart to them. How does the love of God remain in them? Because I feel like when, when we use the phrase and doesn't have pity on them, I feel like that that makes it feel like, well, the pity's just going to kind of rise up from somewhere, and I just got to kind of wait for it. And if it doesn't happen, well, I'm moving on. Or I gotta do. But this idea then of shutting their hearts or closing our hearts to someone has a very different feel to it. And now it places it, it's actually, it involves me. It's not just me waiting for some emotion to happen. It's actually me having to say, oh, my heart is shut. My, I've, I've shut my heart down towards that person. What can I do to open that? What can I do then to move in a new direction? I also like the, the choice of the word remain um, because it implies like, uh, I always just think there's hope in Jesus, right? And so if, if that, that love isn't there, it's not remaining. It was there once, it's not there now, but it could come back. Right? There's hope in Jesus. I can go to Jesus, and that hope could come back. And so I like the idea of, of remain there. Um, John's going to conclude, uh, kind of wrap up this section, starting in verse 18. And he's going to... Um, one of the things we noted is when John says, Dear children, he's, uh, he's kind of hitting a key moment so he says dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth right and so what he's just been looking at is is all this stuff about love and hate and then there's this very practical like here's how you do this you care for someone who has a need right it's, it needs to be lived out and um when i was uh, a campus ministry intern at western washington university oh like in sometime long ago 97, thank you, uh, back there. Dan and I did our internship together, one of the best years of my life. Um, but um, so I was living in this, uh, Angie and I were living in this house with some other folks, and um, in the basement was uh, another family. And uh, this one day I came home, and my housemates were all kind of sitting around, and there was a very serious discussion happening. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on or how to kind of get involved in it, but me being who I am, I just walked in and said, what's going on uh, and they said well we've kind of spent the last hour just talking about some some really interesting things and I was like oh what, what happened and they said well the neighbor downstairs it was a, a mother and a daughter and a grandmother and the grandmother was sick got sick all of a sudden and needed to go to the hospital and so but they didn't have transportation so they came up and asked my housemates like do you have transportation and they said ah well, let us, like, let us talk. Let us think about it, and we'll, we'll come talk to you in a minute. We've got to sort some things out. Um, 
And it, it turns out they, they didn't, um, but I don't know if it was because they didn't or they didn't want to. And I want to be careful here because these are friends of mine and, it, uh, and, and, and we all have moments like this where they said what happened was is they just kind of started talking about, well, you know, I've got a lot going on. I've been really busy and I'm kind of tired. Um, I, don't, I don't actually really want to, to help out. Um, and so, and, and they just got lost in that conversation and never followed up. And so I was like, well, let's go see if they still need help. And someone else had taken them to the hospital, so thankfully that was okay, and, and, and the grandmother was, was fine. But it, it kind of got me to realize, you know, sometimes, and, and I, I also want to be careful because we do need to be careful about setting boundaries. I don't want to say we should never set boundaries, but I do want us to, to take a second when we're in those moments and ask the Spirit. Because Jesus says, and the Spirit empowers us to do things beyond what we're capable of doing. Right? And sometimes we don't feel like we have the energy and sometimes we don't feel like we have the means. But I look at like Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 and this little boy with a really not good lunch. Jesus feeds everyone and everyone's happy. And so sometimes the Lord just says, you know what? I know you don't have what you think you need to make this happen, but just bring it because I'm gonna do something in this and you're gonna partner with me and it's gonna be amazing, but you gotta step out. You gotta try something. You gotta do something. You gotta move. And what we find is that the truths that we hold are revealed in the actions that we take. The truths, the things that we believe, they're expressed in the moves that we make or the moves we don't make. And I want us to be careful with that too because sometimes we take one thing that someone does and we say, oh, that's who this person is. But I guarantee you people are way more complex than that. So please give people a lot of opportunities. John says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Now we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And so John's right in step probably with what most of us are feeling. Maybe some guilt, maybe some inadequacy, maybe some failure, maybe some shame, maybe a sense of like, I don't think I can live up to that because it's really hard and we often don't. And so our own hearts might tell us, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're not it. You, you don't make it. You don't qualify. You don't meet up to that need. So why bother? Right, That wasn't really love. You're kind of lying to yourself. You have selfish motivations. There's all kinds of ways. If we go back, remember the enemy is the father of lies. And many of us have heard these voices. In fact, just the other day, I was talking to a buddy of mine who he would say he doesn't know where he's at in terms of Jesus, but he wants to believe in something bigger. Like he wants to connect to something like that. He feels like he needs it. But he asked me, he said, Greg, so is it just this thing where I have to, to say, you know what, I'm a really bad person and I can go to Jesus and he'll forgive me for being so bad? And I said, you know, that's, that's a, certainly a part of it, but it, it misses what I think is a bigger picture. Um, for me, I said, it's, it's more about a distanced relationship, a broken relationship. Right? And I've become distant from the God who created me. And I want to know that God. 
Because I've heard these things like God is love. And so I want to I discover that. Um, and I think that God is more concerned with this feeling of that we've lost our way. And he sent Jesus to be the way for us to get back, for that relationship to be restored. And he said, wow, you know, that's, I haven't heard that described that way because he said, to be honest, I feel like everything out there today is telling me how messed up I am. Every ad I see, every headline I read, lots of people who I work with, it just seems like everything is sort of feeding into me this idea that I'm not good enough unless I get this product or if I get that job done, then they'll look on me with favor. And he said, I just don't know if I could handle one more thing, especially the thing that I'm supposed to put my life into, telling me how messed up I am. And sometimes our own hearts will try to convince us of a kind of guilt that is just a judgment and a burden that we can't escape from. And John says, if our hearts do this, God is bigger. God is bigger than that, and God knows everything. So God knows things that your heart doesn't know, and your heart's making a decision, but God can say, you know what? That's not true. You're my child. You're my beloved. Don't listen to those voices. Because God doesn't offer condemnation. God offers reconciliation, salvation. John closes um, with what I think is, is, he does have this section too about, uh, and if our hearts don't condemn us, and he basically says, yahoo, right? That's really good, right? And then we're in sync with God. We pray. We know what God wants. Uh, we're moving with God, and, and that's a great place to be in. He wraps this all up, though, with this verse about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to move into this next week. Um, and this is, uh, he says, this is how we know that Jesus lives in us, that we know this because we have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And all I want to say about this today is the Holy Spirit is such a big player in all of this. So much that John says it's only because of the Holy Spirit that we can know, not just head knowledge, but we can know the way we know someone loves us, the way we know when something is good. It's a knowledge born of relationship, depth, experience. It's a holistic, full-person kind of knowing. And that it's this relationship with the Holy Spirit that empowers us then to do things that we think are beyond us. Right? I'm going to give you a quick little piece into my, my life this morning. It was a good morning. Um, and I came in, and I was playing with the, the team, and... Uh, you know, and, and, and I, was, I was more on beat than I usually am uh, in, the, in the practice, which is great. And Brian even said, he's like, Greg, you're kind of in the groove today. And I was like, I know. It feels great. And the thing, though, I, I just said thanks. In my head, I said I know. Uh, but, uh, but in my heart, what I heard was, yeah, because you know you're loved. It has nothing to do with anything else except for I'm with people who I know care about me. I'm in a space where I believe God is present. And I just knew that was the thing that came into my whole person was, you know what? It's because I know I'm loved. 
And I, I can't describe it any other way. And it's not necessarily going to stay that way. It, it, it probably changed as soon as I walked down the hall or whatever. But, but in that moment, I had such a strong, clear sense. And it all was because Brian just gave me a nice compliment. He said, hey, you're kind of in the groove. You know what? Oh, my gosh. I know I'm loved. And the people around me, the whole team, I could just feel like I knew I was in a space that was good. I wonder sometimes if we forget that those little things, right? Angie and I went out the other night, and, and we went to this restaurant we wanted to go to, uh, but as soon as we walked in, like we got in, and the person walked up to the counter and said, the kitchen just closed. We're not taking any more orders. And it was like, well, thank you. Um, so we went to this other restaurant, and we wanted to order this one thing, and then they told us they were out of it. And then Angie was like, I want this coffee. And he was like, okay. And, uh, and he said, well, we can't do a decaf. And he said, we can do a decaf espresso. And she didn't want that at that moment. When he came back a second later, she's like, I'll take that decaf espresso. And he turned and he said, oh, they're just, I think they're just closing down the espresso machine, which in my mind, I was like, then get a move on. Like, let's go. See if we can fire that up again. And he just said, no, so we can't do it. Um, and, and so Angie and I were kind of like, wow, that's like, that's like strike four. Like, you don't even get four strikes. Um, and not against this guy, but just kind of how the night was going. But so we said, well, we'll take this other dessert that, that was going to be fine. And, it, and we got it. And it wasn't what we thought it was. And so we were kind of like, okay. But then he said, hey, you know what? I have another one. I'm just going to give it to you. Right? You can have it for free because of that coffee thing and because... And, and it wasn't even that we liked the other dessert, but it was just that he did something kind. And so I walked up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, I just want you to know I really appreciate, like, we were kind of striking out on restaurant options, and it was just really nice that you did that. And he said, oh, that makes my night. That just was, thank you so much for taking the time to say that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, you made, but it was just this moment where it was good stuff was happening. And so I just want us to be in that space because that's where I think John is getting at, this big moment. Jesus' death, right, the love we see in that is supposed to play out in the very little things that we do. And some of us, we are looking only for the big thing. What's the big moment? We're always swinging for the fences. But Jesus is saying, like, there's something right in front of you in your house, in your home, in your neighborhood, at your job. There's someone right there who's just going to be a smile, a hello, a nice greeting. Hey, you want to go get some lunch or coffee? Those kinds of things. I think we often miss those. And that's where the spirit is really active. So, okay, um, with that, I want to say next week we're going to dive into the Spirit's role more in that. John talks about that. Uh, but for now, I want to invite the worship team up. Uh, prayer team is going to be available. We're going to transition. I'm going to have a couple questions for you that I'll read in a moment, and then we'll have a, a short instrumental time for you to reflect on those. But I also want to encourage you to write those questions down. Take a picture of the screen if you want, whatever you need to do. These are really intended to, I mean, they're certainly for this moment, but they might be for the week. Uh, to look at or, or later on um, so um, so do that and then we'll close uh, after that with a song and a benediction but so here are the questions I have for you today first up what did you hear John saying about love in these passages whatever you heard uh, how did that resonate with you um, and, and what was it second do you know that you were loved by God uh, I answer that question differently kind of depending on the moment. 
Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I say I don't, but underneath I really do. And sometimes I say, yeah, but I don't really mean it. Right? So it's, it's all over the place. But right here today, do you know that you were loved by God? Third, how does your answer to the question above impact how you see yourself and how you see other people? So does you knowing you're loved by God impact uh, how you see yourself and how you see other people? And then fourth, what are some everyday ways you can love those around you? And again, it could be in your home, it could be at work, it could be with housemates, it could be in all kinds of circles. You know the spaces and places you're in. So um, think about those places. Um, again, we're, I'm going to pray in a sec, but we're, and then we'll have a moment to reflect, and then we'll close the song and a benediction. Uh, but God, I give you great thanks again for this day and for this space. Spirit, I give you great thanks for your presence that you move in us, that you help us to see um, in, in the everyday, moment-by-moment ways where this great love can be expressed. And so I pray, God, that as we leave here today, that you would go before us, Jesus, right? And, and just like St. Patrick prayed, that, that, that everyone who talks to us would see us, everyone who encounters us would see us, and we would see in each person your presence, Spirit, you would move through that. Change hearts. Change our hearts. Um, Yeah, help us to love well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.